welcome all of you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. The first service was incredible. And this one, what can you say? I was there for all of that stuff, but honestly, I forgot some of it. It was very special to see it again. My dad told me one time, he said, memories are like are like coats, Harold. He said, uh, some people don't need a very big closet. But he said, this church has got a walk-in closet. He said, we got lots of great memories that are hanging on the hooks of the past. I want to thank God for that. God bless every one of you. Find a place to, let me talk to you just for a moment. This, of course, is the first of nine. These first three services are Every one of them will be specific. We're celebrating our past today. Next Sunday, we'll celebrate the present. Our third Sunday, of course, will be our tomorrows and our future. There are so many wonderful things that happen when a couple finds out that they are expecting a baby. We have seen a lot of that in the last couple months here and we're fixing to see a whole bunch more so uh, God is love (laughs) and uh, I'm grateful for all of the the new births spiritually and physically that we've seen here one of the most challenging things that happen to an expecting couple is they're going to have to choose a name There are over 45,000 surnames in the English language. Last year, the name chosen above all others for a girl was Olivia, and for a boy it was Liam. I've heard wonderful names through the years. I've heard some pretty terrible ones. Uh, I would have recounted several of them to you, but out of respect for those still living, I feel better to remain quiet and allow this live stream to limit my illustrations. (laughs) But after all of these years and all of these names, there is still one name that I have never, ever heard parents give their daughter. Never, ever heard anyone with great pride say, we're going to call her Jezebel. She is mentioned 20 times in the Bible. Every time she's mentioned, it's negative. Jezebel was married to a wicked king by the name of Ahab. And together, they were the Bonnie and Clyde of the Old Testament. There's nothing in their lives to celebrate. Nothing. But compare Ahab and Jezebel with couples like Mary and Joseph, Aquila and Priscilla, Ruth and Boaz, Jacob and Rachel. Amazing couples who fill the word with wonderful examples of of their God-centered world. For years, there were only three dimensions that were recognized, height, length, and width. And then along comes a guy with, I guess you could call a perpetual bad hair day by the name of Albert. And he turned the scientific community on its head when he claimed that there was a fourth dimension called time. Those 
refundable fragments of eternity, so treasured by the wise and so foolishly spent by others. The best example I can give you is something that used to be very near and dear to my heart. You see, time is the white, creamy filling in the middle. You've got eternity, time, eternity. Sandwiched between the eternities is this amazing stuff called time. It does not surprise me that one of the most frequent descriptions of the Lord given to us in the word is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God of three generations. Just another way that the word teaches us that the God that we serve is the God that was, the God that is, and the God that is to come. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. Look at the order. He always begins with Abraham. He always begins with the past. The God that was, the God that yesterday, because yesterdays are so important. One of the seminal ideas of economics is that future events have a present value. And that value in the future can be calculated and that's where the phrase interest rate comes from. In other words, knowing where this is going, we feel comfortable in giving money now based on future earnings. I'm here to argue that present values are not much help in a lot of situations and can lead to disastrous results in others. Because to understand and resolve most problems, you must not only understand where the present is leading us, but you must never neglect the past and be able to place the appropriate value on where you have been in order to know where you're going. Simply put, yesterdays, ladies and gentlemen, are so very important. I've always believed this church has a wonderful yesterday. One of the greatest preachers in the 20th century was a pastor in Indianapolis, Indiana named G.T. Haywood. In 1930, just right before he died, Haywood said this, history is his story. And at the beginning of this campaign, it is so appropriate that I remind you that the history of First Church is filled with multiple events that prove he was the reason that this thing ever started. Our story is his story. We have great history. And we're here to celebrate that yesterday. Carl Hill was 52 years old when he felt the burden to birth a church in Madison Heights. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not walk away from one of the most secure and best paying jobs in Detroit when you're in your 50s. But Carl and Mary both worked for General Motors and they both quit their jobs at General Motors to give their full attention to this new and novel work. 
I'm carefully choosing my words by calling it novel because it was in fact, the genesis of this church was a very risky venture. You see, most churches start by reaching adults who have the stability and uh, they can help physically and financially in the effort, but not Carl Hill. He said, we're gonna start this church by ministering to children, knowing in his heart that if we can survive long enough, they won't remain children forever, but they'll grow up to get jobs, to get married, to have families. So he started this church with a Sunday school. If we can just last long enough, and boy, was it a big if. You see, most new ventures fail within the first three years because of one simple thing, undercapitalization. In other words, they don't have the cash reserves to stay alive until the business can get over the hump and begin to become profitable. So in order to stay alive, Carl and Mary cashed in what today would be called their 401. They cashed in their retirement savings in order to give CPR to this new baby until she could breathe on her own. This church began in a storefront in Madison Heights that sold bicycles. But soon the bicycle shop wasn't big enough and through prayer and patience and a lot of hard work. The Hills gathered a group of children and a faithful band of believers who caught the dream and committed to build a new building on Lincoln Street. But because he started late in life, Carl Hill knew his time was limited and they weren't there very long until he stepped aside in order for a new pastor to come. Mark Walkstetter followed Carl Hill and ultimately would lead the church from the Lincoln property to the school property on Gardenia in Madison Heights, purchasing five acres and an old school building that they remodeled and had a wonderful place to worship. After five years, Brother Walkstetter was followed by Jerry Holland and his family. Holland had a knack for paying off debt. And in the five years of Brother Holland and his family being here, he retired a small mountain of debt. So when our family came in March of 1988, after 10 years in the Gardenia building, I knew we had to move and driving and praying one day down to Quinder, I saw five acres of weeds and thick brush that hid years of abandoned trash. I just knew it that day. I jumped out of my truck. I had a bottle of oil in my truck. I walked around the perimeter in the weeds, dumping the oil, and I claimed this land for our new home. I'm here to celebrate our past because without the sale of that school building for the unheard of price of $550,000, we would have never even had the capital to even begin to think about doing this. The building wasn't even for sale. 
but a realtor called me and said, I've got someone that wants to buy your building. How much do you want? And I said, $550,000. And he laughed and said, no, really, Pastor, give me a real number. I said, that is my real number. He said, okay, I'll get back with you. He called me later that day and said, they turned it down. He called me the very next day and he said, this is crazy, but he said, I have another group that wants to buy your building and they have cash. And we sold that building for $550,000. I'm here to celebrate a man that most of you don't know. His name was Pastor Kim. His unselfish spirit allowed us to stay in the Gardenia building until this building was finished. We kept our same schedule. We had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday Bible study because they had church on Sunday afternoon and Tuesday. Nothing changed except they gave us 550,000 bucks. I invested it in commercial paper. At that time, we got 19% interest on commercial paper. It just sat there and kept making us money 24 hours a day. Dr. Lee was an oncologist who sat on that Korean Methodist church board. When we inked the papers for the sale, he said, Pastor Hoffman, when you go, take anything you want. Just please don't take Holy Go. Please let Holy Go stay in this building. I'm here to thank Bob Lichtel because they didn't have a youth pastor. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the Korean Methodist church. They needed a youth pastor. And they asked Bob to lead their young people. Because of his efforts and others' prayers, hundreds of Koreans were filled with the Holy Ghost. Hundreds. And if you don't believe me, just drive up the road here at a 19-mile road and look on the left. Because most of the strength of that Korean church came from that revival in the Gardenia Church. Two other churches owned this land and gave up their dream because the city council resisted them so forcefully. I'm here to celebrate the fact that this church defied the odds because when churches build buildings, when they build them themselves, they always go down. We defied the odds and instead of losing momentum and parishioners, we grew during the 26 months it took to build this building. I'm here to thank the Plumbers Union for laying off Jack Hill. Because I asked him, Jack, how much is your unemployment? Thank God for the president who extended it for like 16 more months back then. We made the difference up between his unemployment check and his regular salary so that he didn't suffer financially. Jack Hill faithfully six days a week for two years and two weeks oversaw this project through to completion. And two weeks after we moved into building, the plumbers union called him back to work. God gave us the best job superintendent in the history of the oneness movement. And he was sitting here right among us. I'm here to celebrate a wonderful 
Catholic lady by the name of Catherine Bartell, whose salty vocabulary would make mechanics blush. But Kate lived in that little house over there. She sold us seven more acres for $100,000 when she had offers on paper of over $2 million. I asked her, would you give me first right of refusal? She said, why should I ever sell this to you? I said, don't you think we have enough condominiums in this city where you can hear the neighbor's toilet flush? I said, I promise you if you sell it to me, I won't sell it. And long after you're dead, you'll be affecting children and young people and families. And she had stunned her when I said that. She said, I'll give you first right of refusal. I said, would you put that in writing? She said, no. My words, my bond. (laughs) Two weeks later, her daughter came to my office on a Saturday and said, mother had a stroke. She won't live through the night. She liked you. I just wanted you to know she's going to die today. All I could see was all that land going. We were going to be flanked with condominiums. I was here studying early the next morning when her daughter, Barbara, came into my office I won't tell you exactly what she said, but it kind of went like this. Who in the blankety, blankety, blank are you? And I said, why? She said, because my mom woke up out of a coma last night, grabbed me by the blouse and said, sell the land of the preacher for 100,000 and died. And died. Thanks, Kate, for giving us $2 million worth of property for 100,000 dollars. The yesterdays of this great church include amazing people like Brother and Sister Miles, Bill and Janice O'Keefe, Bob Campbell and his sweetheart Dolly who's still with us, Guy and Mary Hill, Delbert Saylor and Betty still with us, Tom Knowlton and his sweetheart still with us, Bob Sterneman, And who in the world could ever forget Gail West who ended every sentence with and. She was a walking filibuster. Every service that we were ever in, she said, I I believe God's gonna bring my boys and my husband into church. Thank God I wasn't Jesus because I gave up on Dwayne and his brother a long time ago. But don't you know when Gail died, that whole family came into church. Now Dwayne's doing this work that he's doing right now. Alan and Alice born. On I can on and on I can go. I'm here to celebrate tens of thousands of hours of prayer. I would really like to know how many gallons of tears have been shed. Millions of dollars that you've committed and millions of dollars that were given. I'm here to celebrate the pastors and pastors' wives that have called this place home. Brother Tony Kinsler and his wife, Laura, took a struggling work in Lapeer. They worked tirelessly and led the church into a beautiful new home. Don't open these packets until we pray at the end. They're handing these out now, but don't get distracted with these packets. Just hang on to them. And I know you want to watch, but want to look, but just hang on with me and follow me. That church in Lapeer today is pastored 
by their son, Anthony, and his wife, Megan. When the church in Port Euron, which had just been a stepchild for so many, just people that would go there, they had pastors just for a couple months and then they'd leave. Nobody stayed in Port Euron. But that changed when Dwayne and Carla Bishop went to Port Euron. You see that girl there? Carl Hill's dream came true because those children did grow up because Carla Bishop was one of the very first children that was in that bicycle shop back in Madison Heights that Carl Hill said, they're not gonna stay kids forever. Having no idea she would one day be a pastor's wife in Port Huron. Bible said, do not despise small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. When the Lord promoted Dwayne, First Church stepped in the gap again and gave another capable team of Sean and Laura Cabot and their girls. We gave Lance and Dion Pittman the first praise in Detroit. Jamil and Vivian McLaurin to ascend. Our former youth pastor, Ron Lichtel Jr., whose folks still go to this church, now wears two hats. Not only is he the senior pastor of a growing church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, he also serves as the district superintendent of Minnesota and leads a growing roster of over 40 pastors. And when he was here a month ago, he said, when I first went to Minnesota, Brother Hoffman, there were no churches over 150, but today we have five over 200, and we're going to have two more very soon. And that's happened on his watch. <laughs> One of Ron Lichtel's friends while he was here was a wild man by the name of Dwight Taylor. But Dwight now pastors in Spring Hill, Florida. Last week, Mark, Walt Marfachuk was here. Walt told me right there, this will always be first church to me, Brother Hoffman, because this is where it all started for me. And today, Walt is the assistant pastor of a brand new church in Port Clinton, Ohio that started three months ago. I don't have the time to recount all of the amazing people who now serve in other cities. They are not pastors, but serve on ministry teams and play pivotal roles in their present home. Amazing people like Michael and Stacy Scott, Todd and Etsuko Sakai, Dr. Chris and Angie Durant, Gail Steve Steimanoff, just to name a few. I'm here to celebrate the years of faithful giving that has enabled us to return millions of borrowed dollars to Chase Bank, all the while refusing to keep his blessing in our own backyard. The Lord promised Abraham wherever the sole of his foot would walk. He said, I'm gonna bless and give you that land. And according to Galatians, we are the children of Abraham. And let me tell you right now, First Church has a large footprint. We have built churches, seminaries, orphanages, and schools on every major continent on this globe. We built this church in Kenya and dedicated it to Carl and Mary Hill. 
This is the five-story Bible college in Bangladesh that's almost done now. We gave $75,000 to this project. Here are a couple pictures of a team from First Church that went to Brazil and in the 10 days that they were there built an entire church that is now full and they're asking for us to come back and add on to it. Here's the new Bible school that was built in Costa Rica. Here's an outdoor picture of New Heights School in Paraguay. It's been open for 11 years now. We were the very first people to give to this project. We gave $70,000 again to build a large roof over where they're now standing. We furnished all of their computers, all of their desks. There's now a three-year waiting list to get into this school. Their scores are the highest in the nation. We'll give $10,000 more next, week, next month, rather. It will finish the addition that will enable them to go from 350 to 500 students. <laughs> Hallelujah. We sent money for disaster relief to the people in New Orleans, to the people in Baton Rouge, to the people in Kentucky during this last horrible storm. Here is a picture of the college that we have played a part in, the Dominican Republic. It's now finished. I don't have the finished building, but it's done. Here is the new church that we played a role in Panama. Here is the beautiful Bible school in Guatemala. They needed $50,000. My wife and I gave a missions pledge for $60,000, and my wife said, where in the world are we going to get all that money? I knew I could make $10,000 by traveling through the year, but I had no idea where I was going to get the other 50. But God, man heard one of my messages and sent us $50,000 in the mail. My wife screamed, I'm finally going to get a new kitchen. <laughs> and then she stopped and started to cry and she said, the missions pledge. And we were able to buy all of the computers and the digital screens and the desks and the furnishings for their office and for their lobby for that $50,000. This is the latest graduating class of 2021 from Papua New Guinea. Every one of these people pastor at least one church and most of them pastor two. And you've played a role in making this happen. I do not have the time to list the dozens of home missionary pastors and foreign missionaries we have supported and continue to support. Yesterday, I got a call from Stephen Rodriguez. Him and Emily have been asked to go to Vietnam. They'll be here in just a couple weeks. We're gonna help them go to Vietnam until they can get back to Malaysia. <laughs> this church is poised to see the fulfillment of Malachi 3 and 12, the prophecy that says one day a host is gonna rise and call you blessed because of what you've built in places that most of us will never ever see. But I promise you, God keeps good books. And you've got brothers and sisters and churches and things that have gone splashed around this world because of the faithful and the sacrificial giving of this church. Thank God for yesterday. Thank God for what we've been able to do. Hebrews 7, 
says, and here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Genesis chapter 14 tells the account of Abraham returning from what is known as the slaughter of the kings. Four kings combined their armies and went on a rampage. That was a great success until they made the fateful choice to go to Sodom, which was the home of Abraham's nephew Lot. 14 and 11 says, and the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. And one who escaped came and reported this to Abram. You get a short insight into just how great and how wealthy and powerful Abraham was because he has an army of his own. And his army took on and defeated the four combined armies of four kings. It says in verse 16, he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions and together with the women and the other people. You must remember, if you read this context, this army that Abraham had defeated had previously sacked at least six cities. He gave Lot and his neighbors all of their stuff back, but everything else he kept. And he was wealthy before Genesis 14, but he is fabulously wealthy now, and he's going back home after this amazing victory. And on his way home, he meets this mysterious man by the name of Melchizedek. At the very minimum, he was a priest. And Abraham returns tithing off of his increase to this priest. And this is what it says in Hebrews 7 and 6. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Watch. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father, when Melchizedek met him. If you are even a cursory student of the Old Testament, you know that the Old Testament ministry staff came from the family of Levi. These are the ones who received the tithing in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon. And not only did priests receive tithes, of course, preachers are supposed to return tithe as well. And Hebrews gives us an amazing account of Levi returning his first tithe check to his God and finds out to his astonishment it was in fact the second time he paid tithes. 
because Levi was the son of Jacob and Jacob was the son of Isaac and Isaac was the son of Abraham, meaning that Levi was the great grandson of Abraham. And yet there was tithing credited to his account because of the giving of his great grandfather. He paid tithes while he was in the loins of his great granddaddy. And Moses wrote in chapter 20 of Exodus that your relationship with God has the power to burden and to bless your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren all the way, it says, to the fourth generation. Levi was generation four and yet there were still blessings affecting his life long after his great-grandfather was gone. I'm here to remind you that though Carl and Mary and the Mileses and Homer and Harry are no longer with us, don't you doubt for a moment that the word teaches and being dead, they still speak. These precious saints in our past have put in motion a wave of blessing that has been rolling in on the beaches of this church. You didn't have the audio. Many of you didn't know who she was, but that little lady at the beginning with that little bun and those granny glasses, that was Mary Hill telling us about the dream she had of seeing people come out of the baptistry through the building and down the street. My dad, who never ever bragged about dreams, rarely spoke of them, but two months before he died, told our family about a mighty harvest that was coming to this church that God gave him a dream that we would see. I'm here to celebrate our past. This church was not born under suspect circumstances. The genesis of this church came from the purest of motives. There were three openings in the tabernacle of Moses. The first was known as the gate. That got you into the outer court. The second opening was known as the door and that got you into a holy place. But the third was the veil that got you into the holy of holies. But the word says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And so today we're going to start this thing the Bible way because the word teaches that the journey to the holy of holies begins in the outer court. And that gate is identified with one word, thanksgiving. for what has happened. Because today is the beginning of what is going to be a life-changing venture for you and me. We are not going to be the same through this process and when it's done. This is the fourth building in the history of this church. There was the Lincoln Street Church, the Gardenia Church, this building, and now the new one. It is literally the great-grandchild. I am the fourth pastor to be entrusted with the leadership of this church. And I have Bible to prove that there is still great blessing available to the fourth generation. And so I agree with Albert. 
The fourth dimension is time. And I want this entire church to live in this dimension. This is our time. If not now, when? If not us, who? If not here, where? Stand with me. Bring your packets and come around this altar with me. Don't open them yet. Can you dream with me for a while? Can you imagine with me? Ah, God, if we've been able to do this many Bible schools and this many schools and this many orphanages and this many churches with this, what are we going to do when it's First Church 2.0? What are we going to do with twice as many people as we have right now? Twice as much giving, twice as much prayer twice as much fasting, twice as much sacrifice, twice as much intercession. My God have mercy. Something powerful and mighty happening, curing in here. I'm going to pray before you open that. It'll be the first renderings of where we're going, of the new home that we're going to build. The Lord that we serve knows where every pothole is, He knows where every potential thieving contractor lives. He knows where everything suspect. We need direction of the Lord to guide us in the next little while. Have a wonderful, we're gonna use Art Collagen to draw the prints for this building, the new building. He he drew these. Architects usually get at least 8% and many of them 10% of finished cost. This building cost over 2 million, Art Collagen, could have charged us $200,000. He did it for free. And he said, I'll do it under one condition, Brother Hoffman. Would you draw, would you build what I draw? Because every time I draw something nice, then Pentecostal preachers cut it out and just butcher my building. If you build what I draw, I'll give it to you as an offering. I called him a week ago. How you doing, Brother Hoffman? Precious, precious art collagen. I said, I want you to draw that up for the new building. And he, I said, you're not doing this one for free, Art. I'm very happy to tell you, we're gonna pay you whatever you want for this next one. And he laughed and he said, you know, I'm gonna give you a good deal anyway. But he said, I was hoping before I retired, I'd be able to draw the building in Sterling Heights one more time before I go. <laughs> Amen. We've got a good builder lined up. But they said to me, Brother Hoffman, you know I'm going to do everything I can to help you. But I can't give you a firm price because these materials are all over the map. Caution would say, sit still. Go real slow. We just don't have a lot of time, folks. We just don't have a lot of time. So this is the beginning. This is the beginning. This will require sacrifice. I'm not talking about a hundred bucks here. I'm talking about something that's going to affect each and every one of us. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. That we could see this thing not just be on paper, but become a reality and fill this thing. And to use it as a pilot program to motivate other churches, not only in this state and in this city, but across this country and say, if that ragtag bunch in Sterling Heights can do this, we ought to be able to do that. Because the Bible said he delights in taking simple things. It's just simple things. 
and just confusing and confounding the wise. Uh, taking weak things and confound the mighty. Let's face it, there's no more simple bunch, no weaker bunch than us right now. But God is going to use this simple, weak bunch of mud balls. Amen. That have been washed and justified and sanctified by the name of our God and the spirit of the Holy Ghost to build a new temple. And we're going to touch thousands of people. And we're going to give a million dollars to foreign missions one day. No church has ever done that in the UPC yet. I'd like us to be the very first. I'd like us to be that church. Amen. Can you believe me with that? Last week, last week, we didn't make a push. There was no push, but last week was the largest offering in the history of this church ever since it started. And nobody was asking for a dime. And it's coming in from outside of this city. You've been faithful, but it's already started. It's already started. This is going to happen. I invite you to join us for the trip because you're going to have some great stories. Shut your eyes and lift your voice in your hands with me. Holy God, it's just paper now. It's just renderings and elevations. But we're believing you, Lord, to take this off of this paper and to make it live. But we're not just praying for metal studs and drywall and concrete blocks and mortar and nails. We're talking about souls. We're talking about men and women. Families that right now, right now, right now need a church. People that are in trouble. You said multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. They're all around us right now. We have been blessed with such amazing people, but I know this is not all of them. I know this is not all of the people in this area and in this community. There are people that we don't have names for. We don't have emails. We're not on Facebook with them. We don't know their phone number yet. But I'm convinced that right now, God, you're dealing with them. Amen. And you're marinating them with your presence. And you're going to lead us to hungry people. And we're going to build something mightier. We're grateful for what we have. But your word says that he will do exceedingly abundantly. Above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. And so, Lord, we want the Holy Ghost to operate in us. Because we're not going to ever be able to please you without faith. So we take a step of faith today. This is further than I've ever been able to see. This is way beyond anything that I could ever imagine. But here we are, Lord. But I can see it and I can talk about it. But your word says you will eclipse my vocabulary and the meditations of my mind. But I'm going to think big stuff. And I'm going to say big stuff because I'm going to set the bar high because your word says you will exceed what we talk about and what we think about. So what do we have to lose? We're going to lift it high. Everything about you is lifted up. Lifted up eyes. Lifted up hands. Lifted up voice. <laughs> oh, Jesus, we lift up our promise. We lift up our dreams. We lift up our vision before you right now. Holy God, guide us, direct us. We're going to need your understanding. We're going to need your understanding. We thank you for what you, and based on what you've done, it gives us the courage to take this step of faith. I celebrate our past, Lord, and the God that's been with us through all of our yesterdays 
And since you are no respecter of persons and you are the same tomorrow as you were yesterday, I'm confident, God, that you're going to keep us and you're going to hedge round about us. We've already got a foundation beneath us. You'll put a canopy over us and give us the wisdom and the ability, Lord, to make this thing live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and call it done. Amen. Amen. Amen.